it's not good when you stand back there and Matt goes, man, you got some tough passages today. I'm like, oh, thanks a lot, pal. <laughs> Everybody's critiquing me on my... It's like uh, I, I sent these to Keith yesterday. He's like, this is you know what I'm dealing with. And he's like, sounds pretty self-explanatory to me. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it does, but people still have questions about it, and they come here and expect me to answer their questions. And it's, uh, you have the same spirit in you that I have in me, which is, so we'll process this together. It's kind of interesting because we just finished chapter 12 of Romans, and he's literally talking about loving one another in this group. How do you love one another and share the gifts that God has given each one of us in this room and build community in this? And then all of a sudden he jumps straight into the government. Like what in the world? And then, and then we get to the, the next verses later on, like verse 8, and he goes back to loving. And it's some people, some theologians go, ah, Paul didn't write this part. They just stuck it in there. And no, I think Paul wrote this part. So here we go. Uh, chapter 13, verse 1, let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. Uh, This is one of those passages that you have a tendency to spend most of our time trying to figure out what the text doesn't say than what it does say. It's like Keith said, it's pretty self-explanatory. This is what God does. But that doesn't answer your question. Like the one that I threw out on Facebook this morning is like, so is Paul saying that God places in individuals such as Pharaoh, such as Hitler, such as evil leaders, evil kings. Is God saying that he's the one that does that? But I have to ask the question, like when you, like we do with all the word, with all the Bible, we have to go, what is this really saying? Does this fit in our 66 books that God is a loving God, he's full of grace, but yet he does have wrath and yet he does have judgment? I get that. So is he literally talking about the person or is he talking about the position and the role? Shall I read that again? Let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are instituted by God. What did God establish? What does God have control of. Paul is saying right here that the authorities are given the right by God on earth to give punishment. The government can give punishment for wrongdoing. He's clearly teaching the government is something God has established in using the well-ordering of his creation. Think about this for a second. Where on earth What country doesn't have a government? Right? 
you may go uh, Somalia, but even in Somalia, then you've got factions that are ruling and controlling. But if you don't have a government, then you have what? Well, you say chaos, but the actual word is anarchy, which in term can be defined as chaos. That's what it is. So there has to be order. Our God is a God of order. He's instituted the government, some kind of leadership. I I believe that there is absolutely a necessity to have authority. I asked the question this morning to Phil. Where'd he go? Are you hiding, Phil? Did he leave? Oh, you're way back there. Just come up here. Come up here just for a second. Yeah, come sit next to Chad. I I just want them to hear what your your response was. Like, do you submit? The question is: Are you going to come all the way up here? Yeah, come on up here since you're halfway here. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to get you off the couch. Do, do, the question is, I asked Phil, is do you submit? Yes. Okay, can you explain your answer? Like what I told yeah, you? Yeah, like what you told me. Or what I... <laughs> Don't change it now, because then you'll mess everything up. You're right, Keith. Keith said don't do it when I walked up here. <laughs> well, the question, do you submit? Yes, I submit. Because there are things I would do that I shouldn't do. We're not going to talk about what those are, but there are things that I would do that I shouldn't do. Honestly, things I'd like to do, but I, but I shouldn't do these things. Uh, why do I not do these things? But because, you also do Because things. I submit to the Spirit who tells me, you know, no, I don't go there. It's not going to end well. That doesn't reflect on me. That's... What, that you do things? That I would do things. But you also do things because of your submission. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's, that runs both ways. That's correct. Right. Yeah. That's, that's the answer that I'm looking for is like you do even though sometimes you don't want to. Yes. And I don't do even though I want to. There you go. Nice job. Can I go now? Yes, you can go. Put that on that mic stand there. (laughs) Nice job, Phil. Yeah, so here's the problem today with this word submission. Submission is, in effect, we all submit. Everybody submits. Kids submit to their parents. Parents submit to their employers. We submit to government. We submit all the way up to the president, all the way down to the police, all the way down to the IRS. We submit. If you don't, the government will discipline. And this is literally what Paul is saying here, is that God has instituted an authority here on earth that has order to it. 
Now, then you have to ask the question, is he put the evil people in place? I believe what Paul's saying, that he's instituted the government. We live in a fall. He Look, I, I believe he instituted order even before Genesis chapter 3. When... Adam and Eve were here in creation. And then after the fall, order was even more important because now sin has entered into the world and there has to be consequences. There has to be discipline to that. And so he's instituted that, but because of the fallen world, now we have evil as a part of this world. And if you have evil which is an opposition to good, you're going to get both good and evil leadership. It's just the consequences of living in a fallen world. So we submit to the government. And here's the other issue that we're we're having to deal with. Our society at this point right now is demanding equality. And as it does this, it demands equality in roles and places of authority to a point where submission is intolerable. Let me say that again. Our society is demanding equality in roles and places of authority to a point where submission is intolerable then chaos reigns. Then chaos reigns. I have no problem with equality. I think everybody in this room right here is equal. But when I say equal, well, what are we talking about? What are we talking about? Are we talking about finances? Or are we talking about, we're talking about people. It's people. And so we get this confusion of authority and submission and equality all combined up and everybody's opinions and ideas and everything, and you have chaos. You have chaos in school board meetings. You have chaos in government. You have chaos in church. You have chaos because everybody's opinions are now important and there's no authority. There's no submission. Submission has become a bad word in our society. When all the Lord is saying it right here, it's about submission. It's about submitting to an authority. Now, let's go on. We'll break it down even further. So in verse 2, it says, So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. Those are probably logical consequences, logical negative consequences. As parents, we give logical negative consequences to our children, hopefully. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be afraid of the one in authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval. Uh, Let me back up just a second. Who's in authority? 
Somebody said it. I heard it. Who said it? Who's an authority? God is an authority. He, he's the he- Look, he's the head of this body right here. It's not me, that's for sure. God is an authority over my president, over my... He's, he's an authority. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit, not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. Now, if you go back and look in verse 1 and in verse 5, Paul says, Be subject or submit yourselves to the authorities. Clearly, clearly, that's the main point Paul makes here is repeating it to make sure that we understand how important it is for us to be subject to our authorities. If not, chaos reigns. Anarchy happens. But I do think as we read more broadly and more fundamentally biblically across the Bible right here, we recognize there must be exceptions to what Paul is saying here. That there are those times when the government can turn demonic, can be evil. Now, I'm not saying anything here. I'm not labeling. I'm just saying it's a possibility. Government can be ordering us to do that which is contrary to the will of God. And and then we, I believe that we have to emulate just like Paul and Peter did in Acts in obeying God rather than man. I believe that. Like they told Peter and Paul, you can't talk about Jesus. And they said, ah, that ain't happening. Government said, you can't talk about, you can't proclaim the good news. You know, I believe someday that might happen. Could happen. I mean, it seems like it's getting close. Seems like the things of the Bible is becoming a hate crime. What will we be able to say? What will we be able to teach as a pastor, as a teacher? Will we be restricted? And all I know is that I'm here to teach the Word of God, just like Peter and Paul. Yeah, we can we can see where you know there's been evil leaders and that it was really demonic, and we are opposed to him. We go to war over stuff like that when we see that happening. We see it. To answer this question, you know, a year ago, a year ago, we were all in debate who's going to be the next president. I get it. You got both sides in here. I don't talk about it up here and everything else, but I have a good friend in Tulsa, uh, at my home church, where I grew up, First Baptist Tulsa, his name is Darren Spoo. And Darren is a coin collector. And he told a great story that I want you to hear this morning. Hello, friends. Welcome to our midweek update. Proverbs uh, 21.1, it says, The king's heart is in the hands of the Lord. And I, I really do believe that. Whoever... Whoever the leader of, of any organization or a nation, uh, the king's heart ultimately is in the hands of the Lord, and, and I can take peace and comfort in that. 
But something has seemed to change in the last uh, several years. I've noticed Christians becoming more and more angry about the political environment, and, and we are called to be people of peace. I've seen Christians become more and more fearful about the future, and we are called to be people of fearlessness and people who are not afraid. But I do want to offer a bit of a historical perspective and, more than that, a bit of eternal perspective as we approach this next election. And so I'm going to do that through one of my favorite mediums, coins. Uh, I'm a coin collector. I'm an avid coin collector. I love the history. Uh, feels like time travel to me to hold on to an object that was used uh, so long ago. And so I just want to show you, in our few minutes together, I want to show you five coins, okay? So here's the first coin. This is Emperor Augustus, okay? Caesar Augustus. And it was during his leadership of the Roman Empire, uh, it was under his watch, that Jesus was born. Uh, in those days, a decree was issued that a census should be taken in the entire Roman world. And Caesar Augustus was completely indifferent to what God was doing right under his nose. Uh, God himself entered into human history in the person of Jesus Christ, and Augustus wasn't worried about that. Uh, Israel was just a group of people, one of many contingencies, and they were, they were out in the boonies. They were out in the sticks, right? Uh, so he was completely indifferent to what God was doing right in front of him. Yet, God used this man. Uh, Augustus ushered in the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. Uh, the borders were secure. He developed a system of roads. The mail delivery was, was uh, increased. Communication was increased and, and made so much better. And, and historians have speculated that if Jesus had been born just 50 years earlier or later, he would not have met the exact um, time in history that was perfect for the introduction of God come in the flesh. And so even though Caesar Augustus was indifferent, God used him. Okay? Then a few Caesars later was, uh, was this guy, Caesar Nero. Now it was under Nero, whereas uh, Caesar Augustus was indifferent, this man was evil. He tried to crush Christianity while it was still in its cradle, while it was still in its infancy. Uh, Nero was responsible for the death of the Apostle Paul. And Peter, you know, those, those people who wrote the New Testament. So he, he tried to stamp out Christianity, um, but he was unsuccessful. By the way, Nero did not end well, and he did not end Christianity, as evil as he was. Why? Tertullian, early church leader, said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That when even, even as Christianity is persecuted, it seems to thrive under that persecution. So God can use an indifferent leader. He can also manage to use an evil leader. Okay, then one of the next Caesars, in fact, this was several hundred years later, is, is this guy. I know you can't see him, but his name is Constantine. He was the first Christian emperor, and I use some air quotes there because uh, he really was quite hypocritical, right? He kind of kept one foot in the pagan world and one foot in the Christian world. And what he did is he tried to use Christianity uh, as a political tool to cement the Roman Empire. He tried to use Christianity to improve his political standing. And so, uh, again, only God knows a person's heart, and I certainly can't know the heart of somebody who lived 1,700 years ago, but, but Constantine, Caesar Constantine, was rather hypocritical. But God used him as well. And even though the church under his watch was weakened, because whenever faith and religion get in bed together, faith always loses. Yeah, it always loses. There was a beautiful tradition of Christianity that came out of this time called the Desert Fathers and Mothers. And there were people who said, we don't want to lose our edge 
Uh, anytime Christianity becomes political or becomes popular, it becomes powerless. And so uh, God used even this time of mediocrity to form some great beauty in the body of Christ. And so God used someone who was indifferent. God used someone who was evil. He used somebody who was hypocritical. God can even use a leader that is heretical. So this is a coin from Julius II. Uh, he was related to Constantine, and a couple of decades later, he would become the emperor for a short time. And what he tried to do is he tried to take the Roman Empire back to the pagan roots. He wanted to get rid of Christianity and go back to the pagan roots, and because of that, he's called Julian the Apostate because he, he tried to get the, the entire Roman Empire to commit apostasy and to return to, to pagan uh, rites and rituals. So I hope you've caught on by now that, that no matter who the ruler is, God is still going to be at work in history and he's still going to accomplish his purposes, whether that leader is indifferent or evil or hypocritical or heretical. I do want to show you just one more coin and I, I'm not going to tell you the Caesar's name yet. I'm just going to hold it up. Uh, this is a, a Roman denarius and it has a Caesar's face on it. So this particular Caesar during his rule Here's what he wanted to be called. He wanted to be called Dominus et Deus. It's Latin. It means Lord and God. He wanted people to refer to him as Lord and God. You know what the Caesar's name was? Caesar Domitian. Now, unless you really know your history, you probably have never heard of Caesar Domitian, right? Here's a man that at one time was the most powerful man in the known world. He wanted to be called Lord and God. What an ego, right? And today, we haven't even heard of him. So here's the thing. From a historical and an eternal standpoint, leaders come and go. They're here today and gone tomorrow. And whoever the leader is, in any nation, in any part of the world, the king's heart is in the hands of the Lord. If I could invite you to do one thing, as we approach election day, certainly, the election requires us to make a decision, but it does not deserve our obsession because only one leader, only Jesus Christ, sits on the throne for all of eternity, and he is Dominus et Deus. He is the Lord and our God. May the Lord bless you today. Bye-bye. He's one of the smoothest pastor teachers I know. <laughs> And uh, I saw that last year, and it stuck with me this year. It just makes sense that even in the midst of the chaos of evil leadership, that God is still an authority. He's put the government in place, the position, the roles, the leadership, the submission. But he's still at work. He's still in control. I hope that gives you a little bit of peace. Verse 6, then he goes in, And for this reason you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servants, continually attending these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. We can go back again and look at history that in Rome during this particular time that Paul's dealing with, there was a period of time called a popular tax revolt. 
that the Romans were establishing so much and building so much that they needed so much money that they were pulling in more than what they deserved. And the people were revolting, especially the Jewish people were revolting. So Paul right here may be addressing a very specific local problem because this letter is written to the Romans, the church in Rome. And so now this has begun to creep into the church and they're all like, don't get involved in that revolt is what Paul is saying. Pay what you owe. If you owe the government, then pay them. Submit to the authorities. You owe taxes to the governing authorities because of who they are in relationship to your Christian faith. Another point of confusion is Paul's, Paul's literally teaching their freedom in Christ. It's like, you, you're free, you know, we teach this in here, you're free to go do whatever you want. So there's this thought that people were going, hey, if I'm free in Christ, then I don't have to pay taxes. You know, as a, a pastor, uh, we had the opportunity early on, and I, I think it's still available today, that I didn't have to, as a pastor, if it was against my religious beliefs, I didn't have to pay into Social Security. I pay into Social Security. But we had a choice that we didn't have to pay into Social Security, that we could do our own. And it's like, I, I'm going to pay like everybody else does because I have an authority over me. Uh, that could be part of the problem th- there as well when he's talking to them about paying their taxes is they just took their freedom to the other side. And, and it's well known I, at, least, at least I think it is, when Jesus has this opportunity to, to comment on the relationship of God and the government, right? He does that. It, it Taxes are the context in which he makes this one announcement, pronouncement, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Is it possible here that Paul once again is reflecting on Jesus' teaching as he did in chapter 12? given his own instruction to the church of Rome that Jesus gave to the Jews. Hmm. So we've dealt with government, we've dealt with taxes, and then all of a sudden Paul just immediately jumps back into loving. Verse 8, it says, Do not owe anything, anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Hmm. The one, the one debt that Paul says that we'll never be able to fully pay is literally our obligation to love one another. Like, I'll never be able to love you enough. I just can't do it. I can, because of Christ in me. But Paul's saying that's a debt that we will always owe. That's an obligation that will remain forever open. And, then, and there will always be new ways for us to fulfill our obligation to love one another sincerely from the heart. I believe that. I believe that. That we learn how to love one another in different ways. Verse 9 says, The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, <clears throat> and any other commandment are summed up by this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Now, you automatically think about who said that. You go to Jesus. But literally, it goes back to the Old Testament, the Torah, the law. In Leviticus 19.18, it says, Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's the Torah. That's the law. That was the Jews. You're to love each other. Then Jesus did come along. Remember, remember when we do the, he gave them one choice and then the Ten Commandments of the 613 laws in Leviticus and the Sermon on the Mount. And then the traveling salesman comes up and says, I, I obeyed the laws. I did it perfectly. And I'm sure Jesus is like, yeah, okay. And he says in Matthew 19, 19, Jesus answered, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's repeating the law to this traveling salesman who said, Yeah, I've I've done all that. But once again, Jesus is the one that says, Love your neighbor as yourself. And so Paul here in this letter to the Romans, is saying, hey, you're supposed to love your neighbor. It says in verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. So is this a reference to those that are in this room as believers? Or is this a reference to the believers and non-believers that live next door to you? I'm pretty sure that he's talking about everyone. That he's talking about your neighbors. Yeah, but if you knew my neighbors, they don't think like I do. They don't have the same morals and values that I do. Let me read this again. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Doesn't say, doesn't say uh, if they have the same values, if they have the same morals, if they're like me. He says, love your neighbor. Hmm. It's, I, I, we, we got a new roof this week. Uh, and so when they were done, you know what they did. They cleaned up the yard and they have this big old rolling magnet that they roll through the yard. It's just this magnet that's on wheels. You know why they do that? Pick up the nails from the old roof that have like been cleaned off. Well, I kind of see my life as this big rolling magnet. Is that wherever I go... I'm picking up nails. And at some point, I have to clean off that magnet, you know, because it gets too cluttered. Or there's something that prevents it from rolling. And I literally believe this is what Paul is saying here, is that we're rolling around here, and we're picking up all sorts of people along the way. And they may be believers like you and have a lot in common and like the same things and have the same morals and values, but again, they may not. But what, what good is the good news if it's just for us? Right? 
the good news came. Jesus, Jesus came. He, he, he's like, I didn't come. I didn't come just for to fulfill the law, but I came for the people. I'm about the people. I fulfilled the law, but I'm here about the people, the people that are being rejected, the lowly of the lows. That that's who he came for. So Paul's literally saying, yeah, go love your neighbor. Verse 11 says, besides this, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. It says, because now our salvation is nearer. Wait, my salvation has already come because of the moment I believed. I believed I had salvation. But literally, he's talking about, no, when Jesus comes back and we're face to face with him. Some believe it happened in 70 AD. Some believe it's yet to come. Yes, I believe that today I am one day closer to seeing Jesus face to face just like you are. Every day I live, I'm a day closer to seeing Jesus. Paul believed that Jesus was going to return any day. And he's saying to you guys, you guys got to get ready. Look, because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. We believed back then, but it's coming. Verse 12, it says, The night is nearly over, and the day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Paul clearly uses day in contrast to the night to talk about ethical I don't want to say obligations. We talked about that this morning as well, but just ethical living. Like, there's the bad things happen at night. Because you can't see. They're hidden. It's dark. It's evil. And the day is known as, obviously, full of light. You can see things. And Paul is literally using this contrast between the two. And then the last verse, he says this. Let us walk with decency, as in the daytime. Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You hear what he said right here. This is, this is it for us right here. He's taking chapter 13, you dealing with the government, you dealing with submission, you dealing with authority, you dealing with what they believe and what you believe and everything else, and it comes down to this, is put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. That's it. It's come down, what do we always say? You have two choices. You have two choices. You're either going to walk by the Spirit or you're going to live by your flesh. What's the flesh? The flesh is just this selfish entity in yourself where you do it in your own strength versus walking in the Spirit. What is walking in the Spirit? It literally means to let the Spirit of God who resides in you to live your life for you. How do you love your neighbor? Let the Spirit of God who lives in you live your life for you.
I don't have the same morals and values. That's your flesh. That's your flesh. Paul's literally saying right here, who's in authority? You going to let God be an authority of your life? Are you going to submit to God? Are you going to submit to the Spirit? Are you going to take on your own flesh? Lord, uh, I pray that your word that was written thousands of years ago rings true to us sitting here today in this very room. That as Paul's written this letter to the church in Rome, that uh, in today this leavener group of people that are believers, it makes much sense for us that you would unpack it, that you would cause us to understand, that you would allow us to understand that you designed authority and a submission and that you are our God. So I pray that uh, as we walk this week, we're reminded that you remind us that you love us of who we are exactly in you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.